When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fish Stripes Unfiltered, episode number 13. My name is Isaac Azut, joined as always by the great co-host Kevin Baral and the producer behind the scenes, Eli Sussman. Kevin, how are you doing today, man? I'm excited. You're hosting for the first time. You won, you won your fifth Jeopardy game, so yeah. you're finally off the show. And we got Eli Sussman, our boss, our great friend here today to talk CBA and uh, some Marlin stuff that you want to throw in there, man. Yeah, it, uh, it should be fun. I'm losing my hosting virginity today on episode 13. Didn't take yeah. too long. Eli, how you doing, bro? I'm in disbelief that this is the first time that you've been uh, hosting one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's I'm happy to be here. We timed this one really well where we have some breaking news to weigh in on. I've had a, a couple glasses of wine heading into this. I'm loose. I've got some takes. This will be a lot of fun. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, I'm excited. I'm going to go right to you, Eli. The CBA meetings just ended, you know, a matter of 20, 25 minutes ago. This seemed to have been the longest timed meeting so far of the two sides. What can you tell us? I want you to start off with something positive, even if there's nothing really to be too happy about. Just give us something that, you know, the fans can be like, okay, at least there's some sort of progress. Well, that's easy for the YouTube watchers that can see this gif of Rob Manfred walking in a loop at a Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium. So this was the first day that Manfred was reportedly in person at these meetings between the owners and the players association. And the fact that he was there, it sounds like based on the reporting from Evan Drellich of the athletic from um, Hannah Kaiser of Yahoo sports. It sounds like he met actually one-on-one -on -one with Tony Clark for people that know that history. Those who mm -hmm. have not had a very good relationship through the years. It's, it's a decent sign that they finally recognize the urgency of the situation. We record this on Friday. We're posting this on Saturday. Monday is this self-imposed deadline from Major League Baseball that they say that is the date where they need to fully agree on a new collective bargaining agreement in order to save the original opening day of uh, March 31st, which means that, yeah, the fact that they needed to make some significant progress before then. If they left it all to the final day, it was not going to work. As we'll get into a little bit later, I'm still really skeptical of them getting this all done in the matter of a couple of days. I think it may be pushing past that deadline that they that MLD has suggested. Uh, at least they made some progress today, like specifically in regards to the draft lottery mm -hmm. and um, just a general step in terms of giving teams more incentives to be competitive. That has been a theme in recent years in baseball where we just see organizations and the Marlins, you kind of got to include them in here, what they did in the early part of their rebuilds where they have managed their team in a way that it makes clear that they just don't care about the wins and losses at the big league level. And in this new CBA, in this particular element of it, they're taking steps to change that. Finally, just little steps to make it more incentivized for teams to want to win games at the big league level and we'll have to see until the thing is done as to what exactly those circumstances are. But this is something that has throughout the entire process that the players association has been pushing for. It's one reason why a deal is not done already because the players think this is a very important issue. And I agree with them on that. Yeah. And Eli, I'm going to go right back to you really quick on base. So, you know, we know what they're, you know, the mutually agreeing on is the draft lottery. What are they furthest apart on still? 
Well, the one thing that they still seemingly have not made much progress in at all that they have kind of put to the side until the very end is the collective bargain, the CBT, I should say, the um, luxury tax threshold, which doesn't affect the Marlins, but it affects, you know, a handful of other teams in terms of how much they can spend on their major league payroll before actually incurring these significant penalties, paying uh, overage taxes on their salary. And really in recent years, the reason why at the higher level, these big market teams haven't been spending is because there are draft pick compensation penalties tied right. to that. Right. So if they put together the best possible team at the big league level, uh, they lose high round draft picks. In some cases, their first round draft pick that has proved to be, a really big deterrence. That is the reason why teams like the Yankees, they're spending the same amount of money that they were 10, 15 years ago because they value their farm system across the board. What we've seen is front offices, even in these bigger markets, they put so much value on their player development, on their prospects. And if you put penalties that hurt their farm system in place, then they will actually take these Really, well, what used to be a really unheard of step to actually hold back on putting together their major league team because they care so much about this next wave of talent coming up through their organization. And this is something that still just there. There's still a big gap between the players and the owners. The owners essentially want to just keep going with what they've had. They realize that this has been very advantageous for them. That this has been effective at bringing everybody down to the same approximate spending level at the higher ends. The owners just want to keep things the same. They, they want to like have these penalties that deter teams from spending more than 210, $215 million. Whereas the players, they want to move that up significantly. Um, and this is an issue that maybe the fans don't resonate with, but the players kind of understandably are saying that, the very best players, the Juan Sotos of the world, the other guys that are going to reach free agency in their primes, they should be in a position where they get they set new records for the contracts that they make. That the fact that these salaries have been flat for the last handful of years since the last CBA, players are earning like the same amount of money that they were five years ago, even though the sport is continuing to grow, and that's not right. They need to they see this the cbt threshold as their opportunity to open it up for to finally give an opportunity for these players to earn what they're worth and they have not been because everybody is in this crunch if you have this threshold that's holding all these payrolls down then there's just not the same competition for the top free agents that there should be right and you make the point you know teams like the dodgers and the yankees yeah they they definitely have more money to spend than most teams, but they care about their farm system as much as any team in baseball. You know, you see most of their guys on their starting lineups, they're homegrown guys like judge, you know, like we'll, a lot of the Dodgers catchers, Kevin, what are, you know, I don't know how much you've been, you know, updated with the CB, the CBA negotiations. How important is it that after a 2020 season where we only played 60 games, what is your optimism level that opening days on March 31st? And I, I don't know. I haven't talked about this too much actually with you guys, but I don't know. I don't think there will be. I mean, these sides seem so far apart, but so close at the same time. Because now we see the draft. They, they've agreed on some stuff, you know. The DH, which is going to help out the Marlins with Gary Cooper. Um, we get the draft lottery. That's It's okay. It's going to make teams more competitive, in my opinion, at least. Because it makes sense. You want to see teams compete. It'll make teams like that are just on the cusp of, of possibly making the playoffs make a move and, and try to win. Because then... Look, and this is the perfect example right here. I know Eli knows this. I don't know how much you know, Isaac, but the NBA draft lottery, that, that's pretty much what it's going to be. If we look back at the Zion Williamson draft, I've said this example many times privately, but not in, pro- in public. The Knicks had the best odds, and it turned yeah. out to be the Pelicans with one of the worst odds to get the number one pick. So you really want to compete so you don't have to fall into that draft lottery and possibly not get the number one overall pick because in this case, tanking just wouldn't be the best way to go through it because – I don't think teams in MLB tank, but they're bad. And, and we've seen that with the Marlins. We've seen that with the Pirates, Orioles. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Diamondbacks seem like they're going into a huge rebuild. So if that draft lottery does get into play, which it seems like it will, maybe tanking isn't the best way to go on like a quick rebuild. So I don't know. I really don't know what optimism I have. I'm always going to be the optimist and say I want. I think they'll get a deal done, obviously. But, man, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think they'll get into that deadline. Maybe season will get delayed a day or two, maybe a week or two. I don't know. But – 
I really do hope they get this deal done this weekend and you know, we'll see what happens because maybe one miraculous thing could happen after another and we'll, we'll get baseball back on March, what, 31st? Oh, hopefully. And yeah, that, that makes a good point about the draft lottery because it'll really make it more advantageous to teams to really just not do that 2018-2019 season that Miami did, that a lot of teams, like you mentioned, the Orioles and the Pirates, they have no problem losing 105 games for consecutive years. And one of the reasons is because they know that their fans will still come out, unlike Miami, and they know they will have a top three pick. And you mentioned um, regarding the opening day on March 31st, if it doesn't, if it comes to the 28th and there's no agreement in place, Eli, when can we realistically expect opening day? So... My take on this is that even if they do agree to a deal on February 28th, which I think is super unlikely, I'm still really skeptical about them having opening day on schedule. I know the, the MLB is saying that the owners are saying that was their job to date, but I don't, the players didn't necessarily consent to that. There are still so many players outside the country that have not even shown up to the U S yet. We've seen with the Marlins, a bunch of their players are already in South Florida but not all. It's maybe half, a little over half of their 40-man roster. It's going to take some time for players to just report to camp. And more importantly, it's going to take a lot of time, um, at least a week, and probably more than that for free agency, for trades to get settled. We were Just to remind people, we are basically the halfway point of the offseason when the lockout set in. Halfway, only half of the moves we were expecting came in in terms of free agent signing and disproportionately when it comes to the trade market, there was basically no movement on that at all before the lockout. There are so many cases um, you can almost lose count across the board of situations where teams have players that don't really fit with the rest of their roster. There are obvious trade candidates out there from Cattell Marte to, uh, I guess, Brian, Brian. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a bunch of them. That yeah. we would that teams are motivated to move before the season starts, for to make those moves, to make the best decisions about them, it takes time, and that's without even accounting for what would need to be a, a drastically shortened spring training. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was on Locked On Marlins, the date that I gave Peter Pratt is April fifteenth, something mm-hmm. around there. We're about two weeks later than originally planned. I think that's what's going to take um, once these teams realize what needs to get done, how they can safely hold spring training without like having injuries grow through the roof in, in the way that they kind of did in 2020 when they had to rush through summer camp and all that. That's still where my mind is at, that this should get done within the next week, week and a half. But even then, um, I think things get pushed back. And I'll be curious to see like how they adjust the schedule accordingly, whether they try to make up all of those games or whether they're good with 150 154 somewhere in that neighborhood but i wanted to touch on what uh, kevin brought up with the draft lottery and how that directly like applies to the marlins when you look at the fact that they were terrible in 2018 they're terrible in 2019 and because of that they picked uh, number four overall to get jj bleday they picked number three overall to get max meyer and those are good prospects yet like in the case of Blade, you can look at the draft list. It was a star-studded top of the draft that year. The Marlins would probably rather have Riley Green. <laughs> they would Riley. They'd rather have basically everybody that was picked ahead of Blade that year. They finished with the fourth worst record in baseball. And if you have a, gel- a draft lottery in, like there, there was a possibility that they'd be picking at the top of that class. Uh, with 2020, that was the year, of course, that they get Max Meyer at a uh, number three overall. And I think if I let me make sure I have that correctly. Yeah. So 2019 was the Adley Rushman draft, I should say. Yep. So as happy as they are with what JJ Bleday has shown, especially in the fall league, uh, Adley Rushman is in most people's opinions, the number one prospect in all of baseball. And that's what this farm system is missing right now. Whether it's him, whether it's a uh, Riley green, who's in the Tigers organization, they're missing. There's nobody in this organization right now that you feel super confident in being a major league star. And they, if they would just moved up one spot or two spots in the draft order that year, then they that, that would make a huge difference. One player does make a big difference. With both of those years, both 2019 and 2020, it, it affects you know the way that this whole rebuild has gone. And so it's too late to take that back, but it's just something to keep in mind for the future. And it's a reason that uh, I think a lot of people would be on board with that. And historically, you've been able to tank your way 
to secure the number one overall pick if you've had the worst record. And that just, that was not an effective system. This, this makes, we'll see the exact particulars into how many teams are in the lottery, what their odds are compared to one another. It is a long overdue reform to the draft system, in my opinion. Yeah. And something else I I think we could bring up with the lottery is in, in the Marlins case, let's say they don't make the playoffs, but they're right there. They'll be in the lottery and they'll be getting a top 15 selection most likely or, However it works, however many teams there are that don't make the playoffs in the MLB, they'll be getting a pretty high draft selection when you look at it. And they got Khalil Watson last year, so around that area. So that's something else to keep in mind when it comes to the draft lottery. The Marlins could not make the playoffs, but still get into that lottery, which will keep them into the lower portions. And in the NBA, there are a lot of players that get drafted in that lower portion, which have turned out to be stars. So and now it's a little bit different with the MLB, but just something to keep in mind. And yeah, I, I was reading this tweet today. And you remember in 2020, it was a whole, during the 2019 season, the whole, you know, consensus on Twitter was tank for torque, tank for torque. Miami <laughs> ended up with number three. You, you know, you could bet your butt that Miami would have loved to have the best offensive prospect in a very long time. We could have had, we could have had Adley, we could have had Torque. could have had Adley Rushman, we could have had Spencer Torkelson who broke Barry Bond's record at Arizona State. So it's just a lot of things to take into consideration with the draft lottery because you're right, it will incentivize teams that's saying, hey, even if we lose 110 games, we're not confirmed to have the number one overall pick. And that really will probably change the course of action for a lot of ball clubs. Now, I do realize that swing training has been officially delayed. It's been delayed for a couple of weeks now. Well, it's, you know, March 5th was a cutoff. Yeah, right. Obviously, there's no chance that, you know, March 6th there's any swing training games, I would assume. We have some breaking news on that front that just broke as we're recording this that previously – Things wow. were officially pushed back to it. March 5th. March 5th was going to be tentatively the first day of spring training games, but now they canceled three more games. The earliest possible start of spring training games is now March 8th. Okay. With the, so wow. for the Marlins, that w- that takes away in total one, two, three, I think 11 games that they were supposed to have. Wow. And how Look, again, how they'll up. adjust that, uh, we'll, we'll see whether they add more games on the back end and uh, all of that stuff but this is this was kind of inevitable the fact that they know that a deal is not going to be done until the very earliest on monday and again what i mentioned about the transactions that need to get done the players reporting that takes time there needs to be some sort of buffer period between when that gets done and when we can realistically expect them to start getting in game shape it's a process you know Sure. Something, something I think we could also say is with game shape, as you mentioned, the guys have been training. We've seen it. So that's something else we have to keep in mind. Maybe that spring, that short and spring training won't affect them as much as they've already been training. We see Miggy Rowe, Brian Anderson today was training. Monte, Lewis, Lewis Brinson isn't on the team anymore, but he was a former Marlin. May as well mention the guy. So these guys have been training. So that's something good. And, and I think they'll be ready for spring training. Now, yeah, it is about getting back into that game shape. But the good thing is they've played some simulated games. So luckily, they're kind of in there. They're in that game shape kind of. You know, to me, the fact that they are already pushing back that March 5th spring training start date at least three days has to mean a little bit of bad news because when Rob Manfred was asked in the press conference how long it would take from once an agreement is reached to, you know, when teams can start reporting, he said less than a week. So, you know, 28th, you do the math. It's about like five, six days until that day. So the fact that they're pushing back another three days must mean that they really aren't optimistic. But that's him that's him assuming that that both sides will come to an agreement. You haven't you know, Tony Clark stars and came out to a press conference and said, Oh no, no, this 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 that has done this, this, and this, you know. You have to think it's only been Manfred who's spoken at the moment, you know, publicly to the media. Tony at the moment, Tony Clark still hasn't spoken, so you know, that would be something nice to see Tony Clark come out here and, and talk on his side of what he's seen because it's completely different sides. We're very far apart on some specific stuff. Yeah, and unfortunately, with this latest news that was just reported 90 seconds ago, this would leave a best-case scenario for March 31st opening day. It would leave teams with three weeks of Major League Spring training games. Like Kevin noted, there are teams that are going out, um, practicing on their own, working out on their own. And we saw a bunch of big names out there today, not just Marlon's names, but all working out Marte together. Marte was out there. We see Miguel Rojas doing the Instagram Live. So the team is working out, but like Eli said, there are a lot, a lot of unsigned free agents, almost an infinite amount, and trade yeah, and players that are on the trade block. Now, you, we'd have to be a little naive to assume that there's absolutely no conversations happening during this lockout. I asked Eli about this earlier. Could that, 
you would assume that once this lockout is, you know, the agreement is, you know, come to fruition, you'd think that maybe it's going to be a flurry of moves right away, or do you think there's going to be a little bit, you know, of a of a time period where people haven't decided where they're going to go? There, there shouldn't be one immediate wave of moves. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the very top of the market, but certainly um, some sizable deals early on. It's just that these players are interconnected. Guys that play the same position yeah. when last minute bidding. I don't. I don't think uh, the final bidding for any player has been decided yet. I think that's kind of what you see at the other end of the lockout. Is teams get their last offers in. Um, if there have been some like backdoor conversations during the lockout, you still need to determine exactly where that best deal is coming from. And there are, yeah, there are players just further down the pecking order that need to wait. They need to wait until the guys ahead of them, as you say, they they call it setting the market where top players at certain positions, they set the market for the other ones at those positions. So it's unprecedented, of course. So I, it would be kind of foolish to try to, project exactly how it will play out it's just the one thing that seems for for sure is that it won't all get done at once you're putting players in a really uncomfortable position if you try to rush that too much if you don't give them time to land with the teams they're supposed to be if you don't give them time to report to spring training the fact that half the teams are in one part of the country in arizona and the other half are are in florida it's there to do this responsibly and to like preserve the integrity of the season there, there needs to be that buffer period. And that, that's the reason why uh, I've been saying for a couple of weeks now that yeah. I, I think they missed the boat on getting the preserving the original opening day. Yeah. It could be soon after that. It's, but at this point, I think even now, forget about the artificial deadline that MLB has set. At this point, I think it's safe to assume that we got to wait till April to get real baseball, not on March 31st, as we were hoping yeah. for yeah, you know, you like you. You've been telling me that you've been telling us this for two weeks now. I think it's February twenty fifth at seven thirty seven. Where I'm like, you know what? There's no way in heck that opening day is You know, just thinking about it, three weeks of spring training games. All these players have to sign. All these players have to report. They're gonna get two. What some players are gonna get one week of spring training games. It's not gonna work out. They're gonna need to delay spring training at least. I'm sorry, opening day, at least a week, two weeks. I, I think Eli mentioned it April fifteenth as a possible date. Uh, Jackson Robinson. I'm not sure if that's a. If that's the correct date, but we're all going to have to wait and see, unfortunately. Could, and, could but, we see like one of those summer camps and how we saw the preseason games where they went to, the, for example, the Marlins went to Atlanta and they played the Braves in a preseason. We could see something like that. Maybe that would be helpful. Although well, I think well, spring training yeah, is a so, better way to go. Yeah. To recap how that went in summer camp, the Marlins only played two exhibition games before that season. It was at Atlanta, as you mentioned. When Adam uh, Conley but, lost, like, gave up 10 runs. I mean, even more so than just getting the players healthy, spring training is important for position battles, for deciding who yeah. actually makes the team. That That's the biggest thing, that teams were able to get a good chunk of that before the pandemic struck, and it was almost three, three and a half weeks. They were pretty deep into spring training. Before. Yeah before that happens. And so they were able to get a gauge depending on certain teams. Certain teams don't have a whole lot of battles, uh, but everyone has some of them. And even if they don't wait the results in spring training, this is a conversation we have every year about what spring training stats actually mean. Maybe they don't mean a lot, but you still want to try guys in different positions. And I mean, the one critical reason why you need a long spring training is to get starting pitchers stretched out. And at this point, it seems pretty clear that they won't ha- even have an opportunity to get fully stretched out for this year. The question is exactly how baseball adjusts for that. Like, you'll you'll see some pretty crazy things, I think, in terms of bending the rules, as we saw in 2020, maybe expanding the rosters, having more guys make the opening day rosters just because starting pitchers aren't fully ready to be starting pitchers, that they're, they're just right. not built up enough. I, I, that's probably what I would expect. I could, I'm pretty confident in that actually, that you would see more than a 26 man roster at the start of the year sure. in order to do this right and to preserve health and the integrity of these games. Yeah. And even during under normal circumstances, you know, these pitchers, when they leave spring training, when they report opening day, they're still not fully, fully stretched out. You know, you, you see guys be careful with their young starters right off the bat in April and in May. They're not going the full eight, you know, 100 pitches yet. So I imagine under just three weeks. And to focus it on the Marlins, 
there are, I know the you know the roster is pretty much set. You know, for some besides some cases, but spring training was going to be very important to see how a guy like Jesus Luzardo performs, a guy like Edward Cabrera performs. And there's only two and a half, three weeks of spring training games. It's going to be very tough to properly gauge exactly you know how they're reporting, how they're looking, injuries mm-hmm. and whatnot. So. It's not looking good. The last thing you know about this topic is spring training. Like we said, delayed another three days from the original March 5th deadline. Minor league spring training. Kevin, Eli, when can we expect that to be normalized? Soon. Soon. Soon Minor league spring training is um, going on schedule. I believe this next week is when the official report date is in. And hopefully we get both of you guys up to Jupiter to observe what's going on there. That is going as scheduled. Okay. The players caught in between. We don't need to go into this too much, but there are players on the 40 man roster for the Marlins and all other teams that are still prospects. And they're the ones getting screwed here where ideally they would be with the other minor minor leaguers. Yeah. They can't can't even, they can't play in minor league games until lockout is fully resolved either for the vast majority of guys who are not on the 40-man rosters. That's J.J. Bleday, that's Max Meyer, that's Yuri Perez, Khalil Watson, Jose Salas. That's that's a lot of star power that is going to be at minor league spring training that is in full swing this week. If if you've been creeping on these guys on Instagram, you've seen that most of them have reported already. For the most part, a lot of those guys are already in Jupiter, getting to know each other, getting stretched out. They're having what is a pretty full-length spring training because – Triple A Jacksonville opens on April 5th. The other full season teams open on April 8th. All those guys, with the exception of those 40 man players that are in limbo, uh, most of this farm system is um, getting together and getting ready. And and we'll have a whole lot of coverage on that, I'm sure, on Fish Stripes, on on Filtered in particular. That's going to be fun to cover, kind of regardless of what may go wrong, what may go right with the lockout situation. These guys are unaffected by that. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's baseball and we're getting something. So especially with the Marlins. So yeah. Yeah. You know, if it's, if it resembles anything like uh, minor league development camp was when I was, you know, fortunate enough to be up there a few times, it's going to be fun. You know, there's a lot of big names out there that, and guys that we can safely assume will be in little Havana at some point in 2022. Now that we got all the depressing news out of the way, we can sort of go back in time since there's no new Marlins stuff to cover. We're going to go back in time to a majority of the G- Derek Jeter, uh, Bruce Sherman era. It's a bit more depressing. Uh, we're going to see a little bit more depressing. Look at the 2019 season to start. They're coming off their first year under Derek Jeter's ownership. They go out and they do send a couple of, you know, journeyman guys who had solid careers in Neil Walker, Curtis Granison, Sergio Romo. And it ended up being so as of now, the worst season under the new ownership. Kevin, I don't know how much you remember from that season. I try to forget. Um, I'm old enough to drink through it. You're not. What The good and the bad of that 2019 season. The good. The good is we got Lewin Diaz. We have to remember that. Yeah. We traded Sergio Romo. We got Lewin. We got Jesus Sanchez that season as well. So we got, mm-hmm. we got some nice prospects. We got Jazz that season as well. A little mm-hmm. bit depressing at the time. I was in shock when I saw that trade that we had traded Gallon after just how good he was. Uh Neil Walker and Curtis Granderson were on the Marlins. That was a little bit fun to see. I mean, not much more. There was just a lot of losing. We saw the emergence of Sandy Alcantara, who, who was just really good that, that season. He he started off a little bit slow, and then I think he ramped up. Uh, there's Pablo. We saw a, little, a lot of Pablo Lopez that season as well. We saw a little bit of Eliezer on, on the come up. I, I was able to actually go watch one of his games in Philadelphia. So that as well. I mean, Besides that, it was just a lot of losing. I mean, Isaac Galloway was a Miami Marlin at the time. Peter O'Brien was Mr. September for the Marlins, if I'm correct. I mean, year before. Year before, yeah. And then we had Rosel Herrera on that team, too. So something yeah. else there. And Urania was the opening day starter. So yes. that was just a bad 2019 season after seeing how 28 went, 2018 won, which it wasn't horrible. It wasn't, you know, that record that you're seeing on the screen right now for the YouTube viewers, which is 57 and 105. You expected something better as they were trying to get, you know, that rebuild was supposed to get better and better and better. It got worse. And at the same time, it was, it was a little positive. We, we got most of the, you know, a lot of young talent that's now currently on the team with Jazz, Jesus, and um, Lewin, who I hope to see as an opening day starter in 2022. Yeah, you know, that, that trade deadline, like you mentioned, Kevin, that was just like sort of the epitome of what a guy like Michael Hill 
is able to accomplish. You know, it's just amazing how the amount of talent he was able to secure for trading guys like Sergio Romo, like trading guys like Nick Anderson, like Trevor Richards, and you get these consensus top prospects of their positions. That was probably the highlight for me. The other highlight was one of the best games as a you know a Derek Jeter team was that game against the Braves on UM night when you know Charlie Castro tied the game and Prado walked yep. it off. Those are some of the positives. Eli, I don't know if you have any you know favorite moments of that preposterous season. I do. Everything that Harold Ramirez did to win the team. <laughs> we were, were following fist charts back then. He was somebody that I was high on as soon as they signed him to a minor league deal. And I was optimistic. He tore it up at AAA New Orleans for like a month, and then they just had no choice. That was at a time, the first quarter of their season. There were all sorts of stats that you can pull good. about how it was just a historically bad offense through the first 40 games or so. They had no choice. It's a call up Harold. For his first few weeks in the majors, he was one of the hottest hitters um, in baseball. He, he settled down, but I had a soft spot for um, everything he did, for the style that he did it with. I, I think we have a very short memory with certain players, but Jorge Alfaro during certain moments of You're that right. season, especially early on and at the ends, and in the middle he was kind of inconsistent. That was by far his best Marlins season. He was a really fun offensive player. That was the season that – it was. It's surprising that it, was it hope. fell off. It fell off in the, the couple of years after that. Yeah. How how much power he hit for to all fields. Like he had some of the longest home runs of any catcher in baseball that year, and his defense was fine. It was it was not a liability. He wasn't playing left field. There was no reason to move him off the catcher. He was a fine, decent defensive catcher as well. And so the early returns of that trade that I think we have discussed on previous unfiltered episodes. We're looking pretty decent. Alfaro was fine. And both him and Harold happen to be both Colombian guys. The camaraderie that they built yeah. between each other as, as friends, as countrymen, that was the bright spot for me. Oh, and uh, Isan Diaz made his debut in 2019, hitting that homer off Jacob de Bagram and, and doing not much else. Yeah. That, yeah. He was, yeah that, that no season, offense, just trash. Yeah. Urania sort of set the tone for that season. Just on opening day, I attended as a fan, and he just got obliterated by a Colorado Rockies offense. Jorge Alfaro did homer on opening day. So you know, you're, you're leaving there knowing, okay, Urania wasn't that good, but hey, your new catcher homer, Neil Walker homer, and your two new acquisitions hit home runs on opening day. So that was something fun to look forward to. Was Urania that bad that they didn't deal him at the deadline, or they just I didn't deal him because they didn't want to? He just. Cody and they chose not to. It was a, if I remember correctly, was that the year he was he was hurt at the deadline one year? I forget whether he, it was he was on the or day IL. Yes, and that was also yes. Sandy's first All Star game appearance. Let's remember yes. Progressive Field. That was yeah. probably the least deserving All Star that reported that Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I thought I thought Brian Anderson was going to get it at the time because Brian Anderson just had a monstrous season that year. I mean, he and it ended by injuries, but. He really gave us hope that man, this guy is going to get a contract extension, future third baseman, a future third baseman for this team. I mean, it just made all the sense in the world. And now you look at it now, it's just it's a little bit of a limbo. You don't know where it's going to go. But at the time, man, this guy was the best Marlin. And if we had to choose who really was the best one, it would one hundred percent be Brian Anderson, who, in my opinion, deserved the All Star appearance over Sandy at the, at that moment. Yeah, I I would have to agree. It was very surprising when we saw that who the Marlins representative was for that All Star game, but nonetheless, we move on to the 2020 season, which had a lot, you know, a lot more positives, albeit Definitely. a shortened season, 60 games played. Sixo Sanchez emerges finally. That is the second year of the JT Real Muto trade. Real Muto had a great 2019 season, but has since, I wouldn't say fall off, fallen off, but has not performed at his All Star level that he's capable of. Kevin, what are your takeaways from that 2020 season? Maybe aside from the obvious September 25th game in New York, what are your what are your favorites? Oh, this is a great season. I mean, we all know if this was 162, the Marlins wouldn't be where they were. But just looking at it on a 60-game stretch, the Marlins found some good pieces, man. I mean, Jazz made his debut. He was okay. Monte Harrison was actually okay as a base runner for us, especially in that Yankees game, if we all remember that play where they hit him with the ball yeah. and, and he got the third. I mean, that, that was a crazy play. Uh, we saw Chad Wallach hit one of the biggest hits in Marlin in that season against the Braves, if we all remember that too. Yeah. Isan played, what, two games that, that season? Uh, Harold, unfortunately, got injured, Eli. Um, and something you didn't mention from 2019 <laughs> is Victor. I think it was Victor Mesa Jr. who was yes. the number one prospect. Yes, that is. That Somehow is over Sandy. That is something that we forgot to mention. I forgot to mention the 
the prospect rankings of the season prior to the you know the offseason of 2019, it was you wouldn't believe that there was four guys ahead of Sandy Alcantara ranked in the 20 MLB.com pipeline rankings for the Miami Marlins. And three of those guys included Victor Victor Mesa, Sixo Sanchez, which that one made more sense. Guys like um Connor Scott, as well as Monte Harrison, all rated above. I pulled up the Baseball America one instead of Pipeline, yeah. but it's uh, pretty okay. similar. It's a lot better, albeit Victor Victor Mesa still at number two. And you move over to the next year. Well, first of all, I'm gonna ask you, Eli, how much can we how much weight could we put on the different platforms that release prospects? There's fangraphs, there's baseball America, there's MLB.com, so many. A lot of them releasing lists as of today. What is your personal favorite? Tristan Pompey. Well, I mean, the issue with with Pipeline at the moment is that they don't update as regularly as the others. Um, As we're recording this, they're actually the only like major outlet out there that hasn't done any prospect updates. And that's because they're intertwined with MLB itself and lockout. I think that's related to the lockout that they've had to push back their plans. Even during the season, I'm not a fan of how infrequently they update their stuff. And um, I, I feel like you get extra depth uh, from Baseball America in particular. And, and maybe th- that's opinion that's kind of been unpopular because at the moment, Baseball America is lower on the Marlins farm system than just about everybody else. And so I understand why people get defensive about that and frustrated because the, 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 the general perception is that the Marlins are on a good track with uh, their farm system depth. But I believe their research is uh, pretty outstanding when it comes to that. And they have good reasons for being lower than the rest of the crowd on that one. I, I, so I I kind of weight them a little bit heavier than Pipeline or Fangraphs or Prospects Live. But I checked them all out. They all have um, what they, they give you the full picture if you put them all together. Yeah. And the, something that's scary on the Baseball America for those watching on YouTube Guys like Isan Diaz, Will Banfield, Jorge Guzman, Connor Scott, some of them not with the organization, some of them at the bottom of the depth chart, all ahead of rookie of the year runner-up Trevor Rogers. So you just, you know, mm-hmm. it sort of just you know reminds you how fickle and how tough to really gauge these lists are because it, Will, Will Banfield was over Trevor Rogers, just for uh, yeah, exactly. So you know, when you go back to the 2020 season, Eli, had it been 162. What is your perception on that team? Because that I think was. a lot of fans, I'm sorry, I think a lot of fans sort of went all crazy when Miami did make the playoffs. One, it was expanded playoffs. Two, it was a 60-game season. So I think a lot of fans went all, mm-hmm. all berserk saying, oh, my goodness, my Miami Marlins team is disgusting. They're nasty. They can beat anybody. They were trending down towards the end of that 60-game season. They were. <laughs> they got pretty lucky. So it would have been tough to assume that they would have made the postseason under normal circumstances, even to make the extent expanded postseason with 162. So what – what is your perception on that? And I'll say one more thing after Eli goes. When they made the moves that they did that offseason, I was generally pretty satisfied with what they came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, the way, But a lot of that hinged on who at the time was the biggest acquisition they made that offseason was actually Jonathan VR. Uh, the, the year that he had in 2019 with the yeah. Orioles, people forget, yeah. was pretty was outstanding. Um, it was an all-star caliber season, even if I don't think he was technically an all-star like his performance was kind of at that level for a team that had back then and continues even now. That's been the theme that their offense has been holding this team back. He was supposed to be a huge piece at the top of their order. As it played out in the shortened season, it was a, he was a disappointment. You know, the numbers were not up to par with him. And even if you were watching the games every day, he was actually worse than kind of the numbers that indicate. He was a frustrating player yeah. who made unforced mistakes and didn't really make the team a whole lot better. Uh, it's it's an unknowable question to know how much better he would have been under normal circumstances um, it, because these circumstances were anything but ordinary. The fact that he prepared uh, for a lot of spring training to be a center fielder and then they ditched that experiment after like one game during the regular year, um, it's, it's such a different world. I think it is a safe assumption that they would not have finished above 500, that their winning percentage would have been lower to some extent than it was during the shortened year, they it was a year where they were supposed to be like trusting their young pitching. That there was a lot of hype around their young pitching, and because of this 
in this season, we just we saw some. Uh, I guess Pablo was the one who had the season that people were hoping he was the most for. Consistent. He was really consistent. He was not affected by COVID. Everybody else was. They set some sort of major league record for how many different starting pitchers they used at the start of that season because everybody was impacted uh, by COVID and by other miscellaneous injuries. So it would have been a totally different season. I feel like their pitching would have been better over a full-length season. But um, they, if you dig deep into it, uh, it was a really outlier year for a team that they gave up a lot more runs than they were scoring. And that's mm-hmm. something that at, at the fundamental level, when we talk about run differential, like – that's how you that's an no easy way to determine how much how good a team oh, is right. is whether they actually score more runs than their opponents and it's amazing that they made the playoffs in that situation if you played out over the course of a whole year i think you'd find that they just would not have been as lucky as they were in close games how brandon kinsler got the job done um i but his effectiveness over the course of a whole year he's like one guy in particular that you don't think would have held up the same way over the course of a full length season. You, you can point to a lot of corners of the roster that would have uh, kind of regressed to kind of what we were expecting yet. I, it was like in any, any way you slice it, it was a nice step forward from what we had seen the previous two years. How has no one mentioned that the Marlins were buyers at the trade deadline? We got Starlin Marte and we, we were able to flip, Jonathan Villar's disappointing season for a young and upcoming Griffin Conine who led the minor leagues in homers, I'm pretty sure, in 2021. So that's something else we have to keep in, in, in there. I mean, that was a nice 2020 season. We finally got to see the Marlins and what, what they could do when you buy, when your buyer's in the deadline. I mean, they did a little bit of selling. They, they got rid of Caleb Smith. They got rid of Humberto Mejia, who was one of the many starters who was there. Pretty sure we got we didn't get we didn't get rid of Yams that season if I'm correct. No, it was after in the off season. Right. Uh, yeah. That was, that was and then the minor game. leagues looked completely different from what we saw in 2019. Yeah. No. Just looking at that 2020 season, we can't talk about that season without talking about how amazing Michael Hill was. Exactly. In, in filling out 18 guys who will go down in COVID, they beat the Nick Phillies. Vincent, James Hoy, who was actually really good. Nick Vincent was okay. He, uh, uh, he acquired a lot of guys who guy like Richard Blyer still on the team. Josh A. Smith had pivotal pivotal outs, you know, to make in the 2020 season. Like you mentioned, Nick Vincent, James Hoyt, oh, Logan Forsyth, yeah. all these guys pitching the playoffs. Yimi Garcia was acquired earlier, obviously, but it was just really amazing what Michael Hill was able to do in the 2019 season, in the 2020 season, and in return, going into the 21 season, the top prospects looked totally different. He had six zero leading it off with J.J. Bladea at two, Max Meyer three, Jess Chisholm, Jesus Sanchez, Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett, Lewin Diaz, and Trevor Rogers filling out. We were, and we were able to see the debut of Sixto in the season and in the postseason, which is why we have to remind many, Sixto is going to be really good in the major leagues, hopefully. I mean, uh, that is definitely the hope. That I, am, I am high on him. The way he pitched in Chicago was incredible. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a shutout, if I'm correct, or they yeah. scored a one run. If we're being honest, I, I think he got a little bit lucky. He was good. He, he did give up a run, and luckily uh, Matt Joyce bailed him out with a throw from right. But that was another a, good player that season, kind of. It was spectacular to see. Um, moving on, you know, just like I said, the prospect list, how different they go from, you know, one year to the next. Victor Victor Mesa was a consensus top five. He was, I think he was a top 100 at the time as well. But, you know, what, what, poor, what went poorly, Eli, in the 2020 season? We talked about the good. There's a lot of good. What was bad about the 2020 season? It was the lost year of development time for all the prospects. For sure. Some, somebody like Victor Victor who fell on his face in 2019 and you wonder how potentially his career could have gone differently if he got all those reps in 2020 that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. For anybody that was unfamiliar, yet the entire 2020 season got cans at the minor league level. It was just a few spots available at the alternate training site in Jupiter for a Marlin team that was so impacted by COVID that had to cycle through a lot of major league players, they didn't have as many spots open for prospects in that player pool that oh. they were hoping to have. So there were certain priority guys that got some help from that. JJ Bladey was there in that player pool coming out of the draft. I believe Max Meyer kind of went straight there yeah. and got a, a few months of work with fellow major leaguers uh, during that summer. So some players kind Edward of Cabrera were too, I believe. Right? Yes. Yeah. Edward, there, exactly. Just in case. Yeah. So that was, that was one guy 
who he had a minor injury during mm-hmm. that summer. And that's the reason why he didn't debut yes. at the same time that Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers and all these other young guys did because of that. So in general, that was a rough setback for the farm system coming off a, a really great draft class, both the previous year in 2019 and in 2020 with all those yeah. pitchers they brought yeah. in, like they, by all accounts really smashed both of those drafts. And yet those players, you don't want to complain too much because every single organization was affected by it the same way. But this was a really critical time for the Marlins in particular that they weren't able to fully take advantage of because of things that frankly were totally outside their control. Something I will say with the 2020 season is I think that started sparking a light in the Marlins trying to get more competitive. They saw they made it in 2020. They believed they could do it in 2021. So they, they tried to buy, um, then they didn't it now in 2022. Avi's on the team. You have a uh, Jacob Stallings. They've made these very small moves with Lewis Head. They brought in. Uh, they probably brought someone else in. Oh, Joey Wendell. So you look at it. 2020 sparked a big light in the Marlins, saying, "All right, it's time to start winning. We have the pieces to do it on that current 2020 roster." They tried to add. It didn't work. They couldn't bring back Starlin Marte. But now they're doing it. They're doing it again. They they brought the right pieces at the time and. Yeah, 2020, the, the minor leagues, it got affected, like, big time. I mean, Connor Scott lost a season of development. I would have liked to see what he could do in that 2020 season. Who else? Uh, Jorge Guzman, who we didn't see his debut that season as well, lost a big season of develop, of development. Um, Will Banfield, Osiris Johnson, that 2018-2019 draft class, and Eli mentioned as well, they, they kind of lost a development year, which I think – 2020 was the crucial year for that minor league uh, staff that they had or the minor league prospects that they had at the time. Yeah, like Eli mentioned so wonderfully in his solo pod on Fish Stripes, how yes. unlucky this organization has been. Obviously, every team has been, yep. sort of been dealing with the same thing. But the Marlins in particular, starting a rebuild two years prior to the COVID pandemic, you know, just when you should start reaching, you know, the, uh, well, I won't say the climax, but you should start trending upwards is right when COVID hit. And a player that you know that we didn't mention was a player who missed all of 2019 already, Osiris Johnson. And yep. then he goes ahead and misses the entire 2020 season. So it's tough not to like, you know, it's tough to think of a player who got more un- who was more unlucky than Jimmy Rollins' cousin Osiris Johnson. He, like Alex Carver loves to say, has some of the best bat speed in all of the Marlins system. He's he's in for a big year, I would I would assume. He was mentioned on a fangraphs post for a potential breakout as well. But yeah, it, I recommend all of you guys to listen to that pod. It was great. Um, unfortunately, it has not helped Miami quite a bit. And you make a good point, Kevin, because did that 2020 playoff season maybe give the front office false hope and say, oh my God, we're better than we think we are. And they thought that you know a couple of additions were, was going to make them a playoff team. I don't know. I hope not and because they were far from Not far only that, they, they did win the series against Chicago, a good Chicago team, Anthony Rizzo, Baez. I mean, they had Schwarber. They weren't that good that series. They had you, Darvish. Um, they weren't that good, but on paper, that team looked like it could have beat the Marlins right right away, two games zero. Then the Marlins made it decently competitive with the Braves in game one going up, what, what was it, 5-1, and then they choked it. And then Travis Darnot just went off on the Marlins at that game, that series. So the Marlins made it decently competitive, and then during the actual season itself, the Marlins were pretty good against the division itself. I mean, that seven-game series against the Phillies, which pretty much got us into the playoffs, put us in a great position as they beat four games out of the three out of the seven to the Phillies, or, or was it five? Five out of seven. Five out of seven. Five. Yeah, that, that put us in a great spot. Yeah, you know, I, I do think they, you know, I'm not a pessimist, but I do think they got very lucky getting matched up with Chicago. Chicago was a team oh, yeah. that struggled yeah. mightily with velocity, with players like Rizzo, players like Baez. They struggled with velocity, and the fact that they were able to throw out Sandy and Sixto back-to-back really helped them out. And they were just very lucky they were able to score one or two runs against Kyle Hendricks and Yu Darvish because yeah. they were not going to score more. But I did know that Chicago was going to have a tough time scoring runs, especially against Sandy. Their only runoff Sandy was an Ian Happ wind-aided home run. Well, we're going into year five here of Derek Jeter, the final year of his contract as CEO. I wonder what happens if this year goes south, but that's a conversation for a whole different day. Kevin Barral, your favorite moment? Of the Derek Jeter era and your least favorite moment in a in a brief way. I think everyone's gonna have the same favorite moment. Maybe not Eli, but I know you will. Is it the Marlins making the playoffs, man? Two thousand three was the last time they made it. I mean, 
in what? And they made it on the anniversary of Jose Fernandez's death. I mean, how how can you not? It's it's it just was lined up perfectly that September twenty fifth when the Marlins made that that incredible game against the Yankees, which was maybe one of the best starts Sandy's ever made in the most clutch positions possible. Now, obviously, twenty twenty one was better, but I mean, just looking at this clip for the YouTube viewers, it, it was a great time and. The least favorite, probably not being able to extend Starlin Marte. I, I would have loved them to extend him. I would have liked to see what they could have done. I'll forever remember those that that three month spam of our of our streams always bringing the Starlin news. But yeah, that's been my least favorite move. I mean, we we spoke about um, it was one of the relievers, Wickren. That was another bad move that they oh. made there. We we should have brought that up as well. So yeah. no, what, what what's your favorite, guys? Eli. Well, in terms of individual moves, that's kind of what I was thinking of coming into okay. this. Okay, um, do that next. Huh? Yeah, my favorite move in particular they've made was actually a super recent one. It was extending Sandy yeah. for five years with a six-year club option at the end of it. That is yeah. something that in running fist traps for now a number of years now, that deep down what really kind of has scorned this fan base and turned them away is – a lot of it's been the losing, but almost an equally big part of that is just like the lack of continuity on the players. The fact that every single player uh, of significance in franchise history gets traded eventually. Yeah. And Sandy potentially is like in this position where he can be the exception to that, where he can at, now with this new contract in place that could bring him through the prime of his career. Like he has an opportunity to set all sorts of franchise records for pitching and with the organization around them, you know, hopefully the team success as well. Uh, the deal that they struck with him is if you, uh, the way that the team presented it made it sound like it was very friendly to the player. In reality, it was, it was, it was good for both sides, but it was mostly team friendly yeah. to get as, as much length as they got out of him while keeping kind of the salary in a reasonable level. So five years, 56 million with that six year club option at the end of it, it is potential to be just a great value for the team it's really encouraging to see like an individual player be so enthusiastic about staying with the Marlins embracing Miami um, during this time. It's, it's been unusual for somebody to take that much pride in being in Marlin to get somebody like him in that situation is great. Thank you to the Marlin organization to believe in me, believe in my talent. I mean, I'm here now. I'm so happy. I appreciate everybody. You know, I mean, the fan, I love this city, you know, and I'm here for a long time now, you know, I'm, I love Miami too much, and I mean, I'm too excited right now. I can't explain, and I mean, I appreciate all the love, and thank you to my family. Thank you to the guy behind me, you know, and I love everybody. Thank you so much. I think Isaac, or maybe it was Kevin that briefly mentioned Nick Whitgren. Yeah. I, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think a lot of casual fans will actually remember that at all. He was just an ordinary reliever that was drafted and developed by the Marlins, and pretty he good. had a pretty, a pretty good partial season in his, his final year with the team. I think that was in 2018. And yeah. it was infuriating to me, um, somebody that covers like these moves on the margins that he got squeezed off the roster entering spring training in 2019. And they were able to work out a trade, but I use that term very loosely because the one player they got in return was Jordan Milbrath, who oh. didn't amount to anything, frankly. No offense to Jordan Milbrath, but that was like one of the most perplexing moves I've ever seen for a team that should have been in the situation where they hold on to guys that not, not only were good on the field, but Nick Wickren was like a pretty nice guy off the field as well. It also took a lot of pride in being a Marlin. That was like the one particular move that it, it was clear in the moment that they got kind of robbed of it. And even though, you know, he hasn't proved to be much of a player of significance, he's an ordinary middle reliever for the Cleveland guardians still like that was one particular moment where I, I was confused as to what they were trying to accomplish. And uh, there've been a few like that through the years of Another, subtle moves. I mean, fortunately yeah. on the big stuff, um, they haven't been uh, ever since like the Yelich trade, you know, for the most part, a lot of their big stuff have been kind of in a, the gray area between being a win and being a loss. But there have been a few times. The losses really stick in my memory. And something else we have to mention was another bad move, the Duval trade. I mean, yeah, I knew it. We could have kept this guy for another year with Avisael Garcia, Jesus Sanchez. We would have had a pretty good outfield, a pretty good offensive outfield when you look at it. 
We got Alex Jackson. We got Alex Jackson, who just at the moment is impending out. Uh, unfortunately, I think he'll be the backup catcher because they'll give him every chance possible, as we've seen with Isan, Lewis Brinson, Jordan Yamamoto, and all these players. So, yeah, and really yeah, that's quick, another least favorite moment. And really quick to go back on that, you know, squeeze of um, Nick Whitaker. I remember he was a top twenty consensus prospect in the Marlins system for a while. He was pretty good. He was really good. Yeah. Forward to him closing games because he was a bona fide closer in the minors. And you look at that 2019 opening day bullpen. You know, you're going to have Romo, second rider, Conley, Guerrero. Chen was in the bullpen as well. But you have guys like Austin Bryce, Tyler Kinley, and Nick Anderson, who had yet not been nasty yet. You know, so there, it was a peculiar move. Obviously, they did the right thing by keeping Anderson. It was probably the best bullpen they had throughout the rebuild off on paper when you look at it. But there are some names that you felt they could have maybe squeezed Nick Wicker in four, specifically Tyler Kinley, I would think. And maybe even Wayne Chen if they were just willing to eat that money because I think that ship had sailed already. On they Wayne. got rid of him how? Through a DFA, was it? Or they just cut ties with him completely? Yeah, well, they waited another entire year until after the 2019 season to finally oh, pull off that Band-Aid. Okay. Yeah, it, uh, it hurt. I think he had one more year left, but they decided to just eat that 2020 season, I believe it was, which is funny when you look at it because they wouldn't have had to pay that 20-something million dollars of the 2020 season had they held them yep. because of the pandemic. So that one really came back to bite Jeter in the butt. When it comes to me, my favorite moment is, like you said, Kevin, that September 25th game. I just remember like it was yesterday. You know, I'm sitting at Chipotle looking at Sandy getting taken out after striking out Clint Frazier. And they're with my girlfriend at the time. And Jesus, when they when you have the best hitter in the league, DJ LeMahieu, coming up with the bags loaded, I'm like, shit, dude, this is not going to end well. I didn't know that Rojas stepped on the bag. I was tripping out, but it all went well. He did, he did. I know, I know. That's why. So um, the least favorite move, just there's a lot. And of not even only that, but that game, Casey's Aguilar saved our asses, if, if we're honest. That diving catch that he made was probably one of the best first baseman mm-hmm. defensive plays I've, I'll ever see at the moment. You know, Especially with how big, how big of a player Aggie is and not that quick and agile. Mm-hmm. I mean. To make that play is pretty impressive, and and yep. yeah, the Monte play saved us, saved us as well. Those were game-saving plays. One of the we're better plays I've seen. We're here at fifty-five minutes. We're gonna call it up after one quick question. You know, I have for you like something that I asked Glenn Geffner. Uh, I, I felt like he had his hands tied when answering this question. It goes back to you know, twenty seventeen. Should they have sacrificed some of their quote-unquote baseball moves in order to secure some sort of? positive public you know public relations with the fans because the casual fans who they're trying to attract the most they don't know that Sandy Alcantara is a prospect they don't know that who that Lewis Britson is a consensus top 20 guy so like if you were them did they shoot themselves in the foot maybe or put themselves behind the eight ball by making these moves that we know are good baseball moves but the casual fans out there are saying oh it's the same thing and right before Derek Jeter ever reported to spring training he's getting booed at the arena he's getting booed everywhere he goes before he even reports to spring training as the first time as the owner. So we'll never really know whether fans would have come back purely based on the change of ownership. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think about this every single night. Should they have maybe just kept – obviously Stan is a different story, but kept someone to put up some kind of a good team in 2018 so that way you know these casual fans that they're so intent on bringing in don't not go you know, because they see, okay, this isn't the same thing as always. Even more so than, you know, focusing on who exactly was on the roster. I mean, I think it's fair to say that they totally failed from a PR standpoint that first offseason. Not just the moves that they made, but um, you could go back to the move that they felt they had to make and that I think was the right one to make with Stanton. The fact that they sold what what they thought was the highest point on him before um, with 10 years remaining on his contract to get something of value in return from him knowing the direction that they, that could head into, like that was the right move. But uh, we were subjected to like two months of rumors about um, Jeter not wanting him, about them about like them threatening Stanton to yeah. waive his no trade clause. That got really messy, Unnecess- like more messy than I felt, felt it had to be. And yeah. that really rubbed people the wrong way when he was literally the reigning MVP. You could – there's just a lot of instances. The town hall that he held was yeah, a very awkward was one horrible. as well at, uh, at what was then Marlins Park. Yeah. That he was just really, he had this undeserved confidence and bravado about knowing, even after like making those moves that clearly set the team backwards. 
that from a PR standpoint, there were there were other ancillary things about how he how he fired people that were in the organization, good people in the organization, proud alumni of the Marlins, like Jack McKeon and Andre Dawson and Tony Jeff Conines. Yeah, and Tony Perez. Those were the four all squeezed out of their advisory roles. There's no sugarcoating that. Like the way that those were handled, the the, the defiant way that this ownership group went. More so, less even less than about remaking the the roster, a roster that I think people could agree was just not going to cut it at the time. Just the, the stubbornness that he wanted to totally remake the image of the team, that he wanted yeah. to dismiss the history of the team, that for all its downs and embarrassments, had won two World Series titles, that he was totally fine with like severing a lot of ties to that and feeling like the fans would follow along. That was. That was really a poor game plan that has backfired. And there are some people that were scared that were like shooed away because of the way that was handled that have not come back and will now will eventually come back. If the team goes on like a significant sustainable winning stretch, that that's still a, a little while away. There's still, there's still a big question about whether they reach that level entirely. So it is, is totally fair to be um, frustrated by, exactly how that was handled and combined with some of the poor, like legitimately bad luck that has affected the franchise along the way. That's how you get in the situation where they have a lot of pressure on them to do a lot of, they need to make up for a lot of lost grounds in 2022. And it's now they're going to this year that as we discussed, the first half of the pod is are really unusual circumstances. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a lot to ask for them to, finally write this ship in year five given the situ the disadvantages that they have coming into this year yeah i i couldn't agree more the pr like with all those instances i it failed to mention the the firings that just made no sense whatsoever and on top of that you do that whole catastrophic rebuild the way they did it the only person they kept was real muto and it just combined that with his you know like personality and the way he handled a lot of things that you reminded me of that town hall meeting you wanted out correct it was just a disaster stan had said it that he wanted out then you have guys like christian yelich saying that his relationship with the team has been irretrievably broken and you have all of that and you trade these guys and you go into spring training and you lose 12 to 2 on your opening day of spring training i think it was or something crazy you gave up the cardinals gave the cardinals 10 runs i i just think about it all the time and how much better it could have been handled with a proper pr person because Right away, if let's say they hadn't traded these guys, let's say they made one trade, the Stanton one, that's it. You still had a pretty good outfield. I mean, you still have Ozuna, you still have Yelich, you still have a great catcher. My question would have been, would it have South? What if it? I think if they had spent some money and now, now that you got rid of Stanton's contract, brought in maybe one or two starters, gotten a good bullpen, uh, a good reliever, that thing could have been pretty competitive. I mean, did did they still have D Gordon or was that did they make that trade? They they were same offseason. That, yeah, so they would have still had the Gordon. Let's say they made none of those trades and they only traded Stan. And we would have brought Sterling Castro, who could have put another good bench depth in there. So, I mean, at the time, he was pretty good. Let's be honest. Uh, when he first yeah. came, they needed to bring some kind of major league talent. And he was okay for, for what we got. But that team could have been pretty good. And, and they were really close some years. I know in 2016, when Jose unfortunately died, they were really close in it. They were in the fight of it. Pretty much until the end when when they just couldn't anymore, and then in 2017 when Stanton went off, they were kind of in it. So yeah, the consensus is that they started this rebuild a little bit too early. I would say one no one year too late. I okay. think that once Jose Fernandez passed away, that was when they probably should have. But you can't blame Loria for not pulling the trigger on tearing it down yet because you know you have this great core, and you don't want to just right after this to tear down a roster he tried again he tried to patch it up with straley with you know they tried to patch it up it didn't work out clearly in 2017 even with the best offense this team has ever had now something something i could ask you is would you have given jeter a chance with this team let's say he didn't make the trades i mean just stan obviously i think that's the one guy that won it out let's say jeter had this team for a full season let's say he was in 2017 and he made different moves now and let's say they were a little bit more successful would you have not tore it up if you kind of get what I'm saying here, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm pretty much saying if Jeter took over and he didn't make these trades, oh, and did, oh yeah, they, they would have been two pitchers away and they wouldn't have won anything. Oh, okay. yeah, I, there's I, still I, a very firm ceiling on this team. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think they would have been. They, they were not going to get you know much better than they were 
in those previous two years, 2016, 2017, unless they dramatically increased their payroll. And mm -hmm. I mean, that was one reason why Jeter bought into the team. I mean, you can face it, him and, and Sherman, like they, uh, they came in with the intent to to lower payroll. They felt that Loria was spending more than the team's revenue, like dessert. Like actually, um, they, they felt it just was not a good business model under Loria. They had, keep in mind, until this past year, they had by far the worst local TV deal in all of baseball. They didn't have yeah. naming rights on the ballpark, and mm -hmm. of course, attendance was a really big struggle. There's a lot of positive from the Jeter stuff, like, to be honest. Yeah. So we're we're in the middle of the time where. I, I think I, I've been very critical of MLB owners and the fact that they are in, in some ways kind of understating how profitable they are. But the Marlins in particular, um, they were at a really vulnerable point just a few years ago. Understandably, um, if seeing the team at, at that position where there just was not an efficient way to get them into championship contention, they felt um, the more appropriate move was to do some sort of reset and, uh, the way that they did that reset, as we've mentioned, there were a lot of negatives that went along with it as well. But ultimately, uh, there were, it was kind of understandable to know that they wanted a fresh start and they felt that right. that was the appropriate time to, it was, as you mentioned, even better. It was a little bit overdue for them to kind of flip the switch on that and try to do it a different way. That would yeah. be a pretty good episode for Unfiltered. Uh, one of those what-if episodes. I know Eli did one for his official show, but we could do one as well. You know, what if Jeter had kept all these guys, you know, something like that? Uh, maybe, you know, my, my, because my initial question to Eli was, should they have sacrificed some? We got to end know, it off right. Moves in order to save the public perception. But if you could really put, blame it on Loria, you know, I just said, don't blame the guy. But you really could, because if they had. There's some things you can't blame on the guy, but then they were obviously. I mean, they had sold it after 2016, maybe Jeter comes in, like you said, and, and salvages it. But we're over an hour. We're going to call it. An episode. This is episode thirteen. Can't believe we've been doing this for half a year now. It seems yeah. it is exactly. So that's where we'll end it. Eli, thank you so much for for joining us, man, and and enlightening us with all this latest CBA negotiations talks. Hopefully, we'll have a new collective bargaining agreement soon. It's not looking dope, but I, hopefully, it'll be good. And Kevin, as always, thank you so much for being here with us, and yep. we'll see you in a couple of weeks.